0: Welcome to Beyond Hood and Evil. We're your hosts. I'm Mike. That's Chris. What's up? What are we getting into today?
1: Yeah, man. You already know what it is. It's Beyond Hood and Evil. And today for the beyond of it, we're going to get into a little bit of a personal interview with my homie, who I I like to call Javi the body. You know what I'm saying? Javier Perrin, one of the most talented (laughs) uh, photographers, cinematographers, videographers that I've honestly ever met in my life. You know what I'm saying? Outside of Jay. Um, So, you know, he's a super talented cat, really like when people say the word self-made, this man literally just was like, man, you know what? I'm become a photographer. You know, man, real life, just went out there and just became a photographer. <laughs> like, just literally, like, woke up, graduated high school. Yeah, man, you know what? I'm just going to become a photographer. Next thing you know, models, organizations, companies. It's like, what? City of Virginia. You know what I'm saying? Like, just out, just from boots, really bootstrapped it from humble beginnings of, you know, living in a, a plantation in the fields of uh, um, Peru. You know what I'm saying? Just, just You know what I'm saying? With tons of servants and, and his palatial estate. You know what I'm saying? To coming to you know, Virginia and living in his palace, like, you know, his place you home, you know what I'm saying. It's just, it's just a really heartwarming story of excellence from beginning to end. But on a real tip, let's let Javier introduce himself, man. Would we'll, we'll you say a little bit about yourself, Javier?
2: Well, what can I say that you haven't said? <laughs> that was true. Um, <laughs> the part that really resonated from what you said was that really I just decided to be a photographer and, and videographer and cinematographer one day when I was eight years old, and then from that moment on, I just kept going and and Literally took every opportunity given, or even the ones that were not given to me. And I just started rolling the camera, and whoever didn't like it didn't like it. And that's how I got in trouble a lot. But I also, you know, was able to create this life that has been pretty cool.
0: Mm. And as you all could probably tell, Chris came in a little hot. Javier and Chris actually know each other <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs>
0: and, and they and they go back away. So this should be a fun one for me because i meet Javier for the first time. So I appreciate you, Javier. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: No, oh, thanks for having me. And Chris has really been like our friendship has really been a really open friendship that has like we've talked about everything. And always with the sense of humor, because it, it's rare to find somebody that doesn't get offended. By different topics.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Nowadays, everyone's offended. Everyone's worried about saying the wrong word or, you know, getting canceled. But um mm-hmm. if that was a problem, I would have been canceled in Chris's world a long time ago. With everything that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say.
1: Yeah, you know, you know, pe- people know me. I'm, I got, I got a pretty thick skin. You got to really. You, words don't, I mean, to me, I'm just a believer. Words don't really hurt. That's just me though. I mean, yeah, cause I, you know, growing up the way I grew up, man, I've been called a lot of things. You know what I'm saying? Every, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? A lot of things, you know what I'm saying? But now people just be calling me handsome. So it don't really matter to me no more. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> look at his face. But, <laughs> but yeah, man. So it's just, you know, it's just different. You know, They
2: call just, you that when they listen
1: to the podcast. Oh, yeah, they say my voice is oh, racist. Yeah, the word, they, they, they the, 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 nah, the word they was described when I, they listened to the podcast is sensual, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just <laughs> a sensual voice, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, sumptuous, that's another word they would use. You know, a lot of S's, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, but, you know, it's just, you know, today we're going to get into, like, a topic about identity, basically. Like, Javier said, he and I have lots of personal conversations ranging from a myriad of topics, but most of them are all sitting around, like, identity and experience. So, mm-hmm. um, we just wanted to get a little bit and to Javier's experience growing up as a Latin man, you know what I'm saying? What people would call nowadays in the you know more progressive space Latin X individual. No, but, I, I, that?
2: I, I no. So then that's and that's and I just wanted to
1: set the, I just wanted to set the tone because I knew Javier would react to that in that way. So you know what I'm saying. Uh, as you know so Javier is a man he's has he's of the LGBTQ identity. And we just wanted to get his perspective growing up on what almost seemed to be diametrically opposing a lot of people's very narrow perspective of what that means. So how was it when Javier was young, when he was just a little Javi? You know what I'm saying? How was little Javi?
2: <laughs> Annoying as hell. But, um, but I think it all came like I acted out a lot because of what was going inside of me. You know, it's mm-hmm. like knowing that there was... Or, or thinking there was something wrong, but at that point it was knowing it. It wasn't just my thought. It was a fact because of mm. where I grew up. And, um, I didn't come to the States until I was 10 years old. And at that point, you, you already know kind of that there's something going on. You know, it, you might not have everything figured out, but, but you know, you're different. You know, you, it's, it's just, there's something that doesn't fit. And mold and and it just didn't come from me people could see it I mean I grew up in a place where people told my mom she was a single mom I didn't grow up with my dad since I was four last time I told him I was five um, and my mom was very protective very loving um, our relationship was very very tight and still is and my family would say, hey, don't coddle him so much. Don't, don't, you know, baby him so much because he's gonna end up being gay. Because that's how you become gay, of course. You know. <laughs> um, <but laughs> so, um, so that was the mentality in there, and um, there wasn't really an open conversation of um, gay people. Gay. Uh, there wasn't representation on TV or even in my family of gay people openly happy gay people you know Mm. that wasn't that wasn't it like there there was nothing about that if you Mm -hmm. saw one on tv uh, a gay guy on tv it was a super flamboyant either hairstylist or um clothing designer that was like a joke you know Mm -hmm. he was a joker he was like like the comedy relief character in the series or whatever it was um so when we came here i remember Before moving here, we went to San Francisco to visit family. So that was the first time that I saw every Mm. color of the rainbow
3: Mm.
2: in full blown. I remember we were going to different places, the Golden Gate and all of this thing. And we went to Custer Street and they said, oh, you got to (laughs) go to Custer Street. It's so funny. It's so cool. And the way that I saw it, it was an eye-opening experience. I, I finally saw, you know, two guys walking, holding hands and even though there were there was laughter in the car i remember that it was to me such a relief in a way to know mm. okay there's there's something that kind of i can relate to even though it mm-hmm. wasn't fully you know i was 10 so i wasn't understanding it completely but it kind of was a sense of relief i remember that right from there i didn't come out until i was 18 mm. part of it was coming out for me i was ready for it but then the other part was i kind of met this guy and I was having like late phone conversations with him. Like we were just because I didn't want to <laughs> talk during the day and people find out that I was talking to him. So like after my mom, like I was still living at home. I was actually, yeah, I was 18. I just, I had just turned 18. And then mm-hmm. uh like we would go to sleep. I was living with my mom still. And I remember I would get on the phone and start talking. Still, me, didn't know that there were phone bills that would show mm. how many calls you had. So my mom was like, what are you talking to like from like 11 PM to like 3 AM on a school night. So I was 18 in my senior year in high school. And so then I had to come out because I, you know, it, it was like, I got caught in a way talking to a guy and it was hard, but it was hard for me, but it's all relative. You know, there's people that get kicked out and, you know, their parents never talk to them. My mom has always been loving, and I think she always had that feeling, or she always knew, but at this moment, it was me saying, hey, it's true, what you're Mm -hmm. thinking, it's true. Mm -hmm. So, I remember that she, in a way, grabbed her things and went to Peru (laughs) 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 to to be with the family for a little bit, and to kind of, like, figure out what it was. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was an exchange of words, and, you know, we're past that now, but it was, It was kind of her reaction and and I now get it It, it's not every day your only child tells you that and and it was hard in a way so she did that then she came back and it was fine with it but then that was it was a little rebellious in a way because that was when I was starting to live my life and like my authentic life in a way so yeah that was like my my growing up and coming out story
1: all right. I mean, you mentioned that when you first went to San Francisco, that was a bit of an eye-opening experience for you. And that it kind of just showed you that, whoa, wait, there's some, there's not something wrong with me. There's a place where this is normalized. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is an everyday thing. But then at the same time, you had that juxtaposition of seeing these people just openly and freely being themselves but then Mm -hmm. in your personal life your people you that's supposed to be a a cocoon of warmth you know what I'm saying a space of love and understanding they're there laughing at this lifestyle that you are beginning to identify with what were your emotions at that time?
2: It's hard because you know they and this is the weird part um, and it's hard to explain to your family because they've always been loving people and Mm -hmm. I'm talking about my mom's side of the family because my dad's side of the family even though there's tons of gay people in my family in my dad's side of the family Mm -hmm. it's like literally my dad has two brothers Mm -hmm. um one is gay and that's the only person in that side of the family that i talked to
3: okay obviously Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) so
2: uh but then my dad and the other straight brother had kids and i was one of them and then my uncle had another son we're Mm -hmm. both gay wow and the the Funny part, and this—the funny part now—is that my dad and the other, the other stray brother, mm-hmm. uh, have two gay sons, and they never called my uncle by his name. They never like treated him with respect. They was always, always like. I remember my mom told me a story that when they were dating, my mom and my dad were dating. Um, they went up the stairs, and my uncle, my gay uncle, was coming mm-hmm. down the step. And my dad pushed my mom out of the way and said, watch out, it's contagious. It was that kind of, that kind of thing. So Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um, in a way, I'm glad that my mom took me out of that environment. And, you know, like he wasn't, my dad wasn't good news. So it was good that she took me out of there and I, in a way I was able to become me and and really live my life because um, my mom is accepting of me and loving. So, but my family has always been loving, even after I came out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But there's always, that, like, it's kind of like they don't connect the two things. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, Javier is fine, because we know him and we love him. But we're still going to say, oh, that's so gay. Or, you know, don't be whatever it is that, that they word that we use for, for gay.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And mm-hmm. Um, it's hard, because, <laughs> like... I'm sitting there and they're talking that way. And I'm like, I'm right here. Like, yeah. you know, you're not connecting that. But then they said, oh, I don't mean it that way. You know, it's not, it's not the intention. Like we're actually not talking about a gay person. We're just using the word. Mm. But that stops in a way that community and that like it stops society from moving forward and equalizing us, like making us in the same, like, you know, like the same level of humans Mm -hmm. because when you're using that word to describe something bad or something weak or something you know derogatory yeah exactly it doesn't really that's who we are because that's Mm -hmm. what if you're growing up hearing that that word that you are Mm -hmm. is a weak person it's somebody that doesn't dare to do something it's something that is to be laughed at then that's what you believe of yourself Mm. so then when you even as much love and everything like i remember my cousin who is like one of the best people and he lives actually in san francisco he's one of the ones we were visiting Mm -hmm. um we were we went out to a club this was later on this was probably i was 20 something and he uh we were doing shots and at one point i mean he is chris he's like you he's like Meaning tall and like
1: yeah, That's
2: yeah. more of a body.
1: Than <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, Darcy, I don't want you know to make your head he, big by yeah, saying yeah,
2: you're yeah. like ripped and muscular.
1: Yeah. Okay. So but, he, a, he, is he also Moreno? You know what I'm saying? You say you like no. me. Oh, okay. So no. he got. He, he, so he's Blanco. Okay, he's not a negrito. <laughs> All right. So he got more rights. You know what I'm saying? Let's go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs>
3: but
2: but anyways we were doing shots and he uh at one point i didn't want anymore and he gave me a shot and he's like come on don't be gay Mm. and i'm Mm. like and i literally said i am and he did not mean that that way but i literally changed the conversation at that moment saying i am and you should have seen the look he gave me i i mean he was like like he couldn't say anything Mm. um but literally it's like they don't realize what they're saying or the words Mm -hmm. you're using um, and connecting it to me and my life, which is, it's, it is what it is, I guess, you know, I know there I have to focus on the intention and not the words, but I also Mm -hmm. bring it up uh, whenever I get the chance to say, look, if we keep using this words, you don't know, like I might be fine with it at this point uh, because I'm securing who I am. But Mm. if there is, you know, one of your kids or their friends or anybody that you're around outside, you know, if you're in a public place and you don't know what that word would do to that person and how they're going to be going to sleep that night and think about it and and
3: mm-hmm.
2: hurt, you know, because it, it hurts.
1: I got stories like that too, man. I remember I was growing up, you know what I'm saying? I got curly hair, you know, <laughs> and, and in my community, you know, that's just something that was very, I, I, I have a very uncommon appearance, you know what I'm saying? especially when I was little I was a lot more you mm-hmm. know when you when you're a little kid you're a lot more androgynous Especially if you got soft features, I got you know brown, big brown eyes. You got curly hair. You know what I'm saying? You just and people, you know, you just look a little bit. more. The word I would use now is I didn't know what the word was. Was androgynous? I was kind of androgynous. I wasn't a. I wasn't a paragon of masculinity. That's before you all today. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what I, I, I was what people would say today. My my appearance was a little bit more fluid. You know what I'm saying? Because it just my hair was big, it was just a big curly mess. Big big dark brown eyes dark eyebrows like i look like a doll baby like literally that's what my mother mm-hmm. my grandmother people on the street men on the street would say like they and you got to respond in your little high voice i'm a boy and it's like <laughs> 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 you know and then next thing you know they confused you know i told a story on here about i walking down the street and i got catcalled i had to be like 10, you know what I'm saying, 11, 10 or 11. And I'm just walking mm-hmm. down the street in my. It like, and it's not like I'm wearing clothes that's very promiscuous or anything like that. I'm wearing baggy clothes. It's, it's the height just before, like gangster rap is a thing. I live in the inner city, you know, I'm in an urban environment, Anacostia, Southeast Bury Farms. I'm wearing baggy pants, oversized t-shirt, backpack. I got a little fake, it's not It's not a real chain, but it's a chain, you know what I'm saying? I, I, that's who I was at the time. <laughs> don't, don't judge me, y'all. And then, you know, and I got my hair, it's not cut because it's, it's long. It's mad long. It's like one of those, uh, what's that, a retreating curls. You know what I'm saying? It's very, vir- yeah. it's like big curls because my head, I don't volume. Yeah, like I got a lot of vo- volume. Yeah, volume in my curls. So I'm walking down the street, just walking down the street and I'm just, you know, heading to school and I hear, hey girl, <laughs> it's just me. It's just me. So I just ignore, him. I'm like, he's obviously not talking to me. I'm, Obviously, you know I'm super thugged out at the time. Like not not, <laughs> not actuality, not in actuality, but in my mind, you know the song. I'm a pimping yeah. my own man. I'm a gangster. You know what I'm saying? Fifty Cent. I'm a. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm a part. I am in G Unit. You know what I'm saying? So I'm walking down the street like this man is not talking to me, bro. Like I, you know what I'm saying? I'm a, he, he get his temperature check. You know. So I'm walking down the street. He's like, man, you got some pretty hair, girl. And I just stopped. and I was like, and I look around and it's just me and it's a, you know, nobody. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm a boy. You know, you trying to put the bass in your voice to make it sound yeah. like stop playing with me. You know, I could get deep. But back then it was like, I'm a boy. And it's like, <laughs> you, st- you still got some pretty hair. It's like, oh, and so I'm, so at this point, I'm intimidated. I'm like, oh, nah, he might be a recidivist. He might be a criminal. He might be a prisoner. He could come and molest me. So I, I had to escape. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to know when it's time to evacuate. You know what I'm saying? You got to know when to escape. So I had to escape to my destination, which was the train station to get my education. You understand? So I, I, I had many moments like that, you know, like just even when I was little, people used to call me and brother gay all the time or whatever because we had curly hair mm-hmm. and we spoke like a storybook like I don't talk I know it don't that doesn't appear because the way I talk now is very uh urban yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah.
2: On my microphone I think <laughs> I think you uh, still have that high pitched voice. Oh, oh,
1: okay. my, my <laughs> bad. bad. My, my, my bad. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to speak in, in, a, in a tone that's more palatable <laughs> for our audience, but you know, I didn't want to break up my real, my real voice. You know what I'm saying? My we know you
0: try. We know you trying right now. We know you trying.
1: <laughs> but it's just something that happened. So and then, and then you know, you guys just you had to let the roll with the punches. Like, bro, you really, dog. You want to talk to me like you know what I'm saying? What's what's going on with you, bro? And that's how you develop that idea like that homophobia. Because it's like, man, I'm not that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not that. I'm not that. And it's like, at the same time, it's like, but you don't really even know what that means. Because it's not like nobody really haven't... Well, in my community, people let like, people tell her they was out here experimenting with their bodies since like First grade, second grade, like I remember the first. That's the first time people talking about having sex. When I was in elementary school, people was like, "I had sex with Shanetta, I had sex with Tier. And it's like, what the? What, and I'm just confused. Like, what do you guys talk? What is sex? Like, you 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 mean between a man and a woman? And he's like, yeah. It's like you lying. Like, you only know what that means. You don't know what that is. You don't know. What, and like I'm, me being well read, I'm like, dog. You don't. There's no way. It's, it's physically impossible. And they're like, Chris, you just you whatever. You gay. You only know what you are talking about. It's like, nah. I read books. <laughs> like, I know what I'm talking about. So. It's just something you had to to deal with. And it's like that, like what you're talking about though, it's almost a a, a learned culture. Because it's not like you know what's right and what's wrong growing up, what's moral, what's amoral, but it's like it's taught to you from a young age what's good and what's bad. And that's how I feel like a lot of people get encultured or acculturated into the idea of like, oh, gay being something that's less than or gay being something that's weak. Because at the end of the day, it's some of your favorite, most masculine examples of men in the world do are, are gay and people don't know that because of the way they present, but you know, it's just a thing, man. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to talk more about that, that, that experience, bro.
2: Well, it's, it's like, I mean, you, you know me, I am not like the most intimidating person in the world. <laughs> like, I, I'm small frame. I'm I'm little. Um, But that always, even at an age where I didn't even know, like, I'm talking, I'm little, like I knew there was something different, but I have no idea. I, I did not say to myself, I like guys or like mm-hmm. I find him attractive. Um, and they were already calling me that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, and it was, and it was wrong, you know, because there's, like you said, there's right and wrong. And that's mm-hmm. what, you know, that's this black or white.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it's not like, oh, you might be a little bit gay. You're mm-hmm. a little bit wrong. It's just not like mm-hmm. it's like you're wrong or right. And I couldn't escape it. Like, I couldn't say like you, like if they call you gay, you know, you're not gay. Mm -hmm. So whatever is their opinion. But in here, it was the truth. You know, when I finally like realized that and I was like, okay, when I came to terms with myself, and this is very deep in myself, like I'm like, okay, this is who you are, but nobody can know. And it's wrong. So even though you know, it, it is still wrong. And it's something that you have to fight it. So when somebody would say it, first of all, the defensiveness comes in right into play because that's mm-hmm. like, OK, he can't know the truth like this. I have to convince him that this is not true. But then the really hard part is the when you're on your own after that, after that incident or like if, if it was in public with other kids in school, then that shame and like you grow up with that and and it creates a tough person in a way like mm. you you close yourself close your feelings and then I don't know at some point you have to realize that their opinions shouldn't affect you but at that point when you realize that or when you are mature enough to realize that then it's too late because yeah. you have <laughs> already been hurt so much um, and you already have those complexes and like there's been times that I go like I'm walking and I'm realizing oh I'm not walking masculine enough mm. like and it's I'm like, I don't need to be masculine. Everybody knows I'm gay. Like, like if I'm not as masculine, I'm not trying to impress a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You
3: know? Like, <laughs> like, okay,
2: if a girl sees me and is like, oh, he walks a little funny, then I don't care because I'm not going to take you out. Yeah. You know? That's like, but it's still that, that ingrained in your brain that is like, you have to be more masculine. And that's why like also a lot of celebrities that are gay that even after they come out, they keep that masculinity to not lose their career or they go like full on more feminine that Mm. if they are trying to reach that small demographic and per se, you know, but if they want to keep a career, that's for everybody, they keep it very masculine Mm
3: -hmm. Mm because
2: that's the idea of, you know, being a man. It doesn't change. Like, in the gay community too, there are the masculine gays and there are the feminine gays and they're, you know, like, and that, like, I remember when I was dating and before I got married and, and I was like on Grindr on the apps, like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to either hook up or, or go out on a date and there's, and it's still going on with with friends that I hear. It's still, they're putting masks on their profiles Mm -hmm. and that's like a thing. And I'm like, why are we still like, we fought that so hard with ourselves. And we always thought how wrong it was. And now we're doing it ourselves.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's just like, I'm glad I don't have to pretend anymore or, or you know, try to be something else. And I'm just myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can do that maybe because I have somebody, I have a family that that it's, you know, already there and secure and I don't care what anybody says because I have my unit, you know?
3: Yeah. But
2: that still goes on and it's it's hard.
0: Right. So you, you talked about at 18 is when you, you know, officially came out, but before that you had to build the confidence in order to to do it. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, ram- the potential ramifications of doing so. Right. There's a lot of reward in it. Right. And then there's some risk in it for sure. So like you talked yeah. about your mom being there to make you feel comfortable and to make you have a home. Right. So like what else was there and, and what were some of the, the conversations or realizations that you had that said, like, OK, this is me and I need to share this because it's important for me to get that reward that I want, which is for me to be who I am and not continue to pretend.
2: Well, I didn't I didn't get that confident place until later it wasn't when i was 18 Mm -hmm. i came out because one thing that you have to realize is that you you know who you are from an earlier age and you know it's i didn't realize i was gay when i was 18 that's just when i came out when i realized Mm -hmm. it was my early teens and like i think i was 12 um when i fully like i was like okay that boy is attractive like you You know that the girl is not doing it for you, the boy is you know yeah. there's like chemical changes in your body and everything that that tells you that um but I couldn't act on it i couldn't I couldn't do anything about it um or explore it even so you guys are walking at twelve years old, exploring that and and getting to know who you are and making mistakes and doing all of these things that i had to like, I was kind of dating girls sometimes. Um, in high school, actually, I have a girl that now she's married to a woman, so we always said she found she found a woman, in me, I found a man in her.
1: That's you That was the perfect beard, the perfect beard, and perfect yes,
2: panties, like the yes, perfect it was beard. Like and a double beard situation, yeah. yeah. And oh, I dated also briefly, dated the guy that she dated after, it was a mess. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> That's different, Javier was out here
1: catching bodies. You hear me? He's out here
2: catching
3: bodies.
1: <laughs> <But folks that laughs> know, man, I don't man, I've never said this to Javier, but Javier, good-looking cat, man. So it's just, it makes sense just to put it out there. Javier, good-looking right, cat.
2: Man. I so. am married...
3: Uh,
1: see this oh, is why. No, see, see this is why. You know what I'm saying? This is how. This is this is our nature of our relationship. You know what I'm saying? This, we don't give we don't give each other compliments often for that reason. You know what I'm saying? Because we just we just we just run with them. We run with them. You know. So
2: the funny thing is that if we were texting, Chris has actually and collection of like, <laughs> images yeah, that they, he can send and gifts that he can send to reject my gayness. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that's supposed to say that a is personal, that's Thompson. a personal thing between you and yeah. I. You know what I'm saying? I got, you know, it's I do have some memes. Enough. I do have memes that I do use to, you know, to reflect mm-hmm. back. You know, so let Javier know, you yeah. know what I'm saying? What's happening to Sometimes
3: so- I just
2: push her a little further <laughs> to see what he's saying.
0: <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But, your main game is serious.
2: But like, so so going through life, like going back to what I was saying, like, I did not start doing that process that you guys were doing since you, like growing up normally until I was 18. Like, yes, I had had, you know, experiences like, you know, here and there, like something mm-hmm. happened here or there with friends and stuff, but like nothing that proudly and 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 without shame I would be able mm-hmm. to do. When I was eighteen, that's when I started making those mistakes and and experiencing things that I should have done earlier in life. If you know, mm-hmm. if being gay was okay, you know. So that confidence of knowing who you are, something that you might experience or, or get to when you're like twenty or nineteen. Um, that you walk with confidence and you can go up to somebody and, and really just be yourself, mm-hmm. I really didn't know, fully know how to be myself. So, yeah. And a lot of people like saw me changing or becoming someone else, and I was like, no, I'm just I'm being me. I'm being who I always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I Like, you, you maybe are thinking that I'm pretending to be something else to fit in with, with the gay crowd. But in reality, that's what I was doing before coming out. That's, I was pretending to be someone else. I, I became good at, like, realizing where people kind of were, like, lying or creating a story mm-hmm. because I became, like, I think gay people that don't grow up in a place where it's accepted and, and, and embraced are really good liars and Mm. storytellers. You have to, to survive, you know? So I created this whole narrative of who I was. I created this persona of who I was. I created this lies of like talking about the girl that I like and keeping track of what I said about that girl that I liked and, and listening to what other like straight guys were like friends were talking about girls and that's what they like. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what I like. And like, in mm. in a way, you you become this professional liar and con artist in a way.
1: Oh, okay, so Javier, uh, Javier, you're da- you're treading dangerously close to this line of um, reinforcing negative stereotypes around <laughs> the LGBT <laughs> community. So I just want to point that out. You know what I'm saying? Because that's no, what you saying. True. Sound crazy? You know what I'm saying? It sounds mad crazy, mad flagrant? You know? I just want to point that out, bro. You
3: <laughs> wanna,
1: you want to you you tread a deadly line, man. Just 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 be aware.
2: No, but it's true though. Like it's it's like. I am sorry, it's such my mind, but I'm a professional liar in a way. Um, (laughs) I know that I I know what I'm saying, but in a way, you you had to do that. This is why, like my friendships and the people that I keep around, which aren't, I'm not a person that opens up to a lot of people, even though this is a public podcast. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but um, but like I don't I don't let too many people in, Chris. You see, like I I keep it very small. Mm. And to those people, I am the most honest because I can be. And to me, being honest, it's a privilege, which is hard to, to Mm. like think that way. But it to me it is because I am able to be who I am and, and to say what I think. And it doesn't matter if you don't like it, at least you're getting to know who I am. Before, mm-hmm. if you didn't like me, I was like, "Wait, that's not fair! You're not even getting to know me, and you yeah. don't like me. you. You don't like the per- the person I created." Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, like honesty is very important to me because of that, because mm-hmm. of what I went through, because of not being able to be honest in many ways, like it's it's just what I had to do to survive.
0: Yeah, I'm, hold on, Chris. I'm- now, I want to sit there for a little bit because I hear what you're saying, Chris, as like walking the daily line by Javier. What I'm interpreting that as is like this is not lying in order to be manipulative. Right. You're talking about lying as a, yeah. as a place of self-preservation. Right. And, yes. this, and this would be yes. liking way more to like a white lie. Right.
2: <laughs> I mean, there are white lies because the only person that they're hurting, it's me in a way mm. and the couple of girls that I dated. But I mean, <laughs> At the same know, damn time. Because, and by the way, I'm really good friends with them and, and they totally get it because, I mean, first of all, women are a lot more understanding in this than men because their femininity is not compromised. Um, mm. And, you know, they're, they're not, you're not challenging anything or insulting anything as some men would thing, you know, because it's like, you know, um, and they're not uncomfortable with me because men could be uncomfortable because I would be hitting on them or whatever they think I would do, Mm -hmm. Um, which I don't hit on straight men because I know I'm going to lose. So (laughs) there's
1: no point (laughs) of doing that. Man, you miss miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Javier. You know what I'm saying? You got to get out there and keep shooting, man. You got to shoot your shots. But like I I I, I guess I, I think I think he made
0: a shot and now that's the shot that he's left with because he married now. So you know he he's done shooting his shots, he
1: retired.
2: You're right, no, you're right. My husband made that shot and I just,
1: I just <laughs> see that's what I'm saying. See, you know what I'm saying? Again, I'm gonna say it again, man. Harvey a good looking cat. You know what I'm saying? He out there, he, he found his husband just by waiting, man. Ladies can learn something from him, you know what I'm saying. You you can't let your appearance be interference out there, you know what I'm saying? Ladies, gentlemen, people that are non-binary, you out here looking like a a dusty rolled up fruit roll up, you know what I'm saying? What you think you going to get besides you know, gutter snakes <laughs> and scoundrels, you know what I'm saying? But if you're out here looking, you know, trimmed and prim, you know what I'm saying? You're looking, what you what you think you going to get. So, um, but on a more serious note, <laughs> to what you was talking about. uh, So like, I guess there seems to be a lot of talk in a lot of ways around authenticity and shame. So where do those two things... Lie in your life? Like, because it seems like there was a lot of shame that came from the unacceptance or the rejection of the lifestyle that you were beginning to come to grass with, even in your younger years. And then there's the authenticity that you had to hide from people. And now, as a person that's more fully realized, how do those two personalities clash? Because I imagine there has to be some sort of a back and forth that a personal battle that went on before you became the confident person you are today.
2: I mean, there's definitely a conflict and, and it messes with you a lot. And, you know, when you are a person that, and you've met me, like there's a certain level of almost delusional confidence that I have now, um, (laughs) where some instances I shouldn't have the confidence that (laughs) I, know, but, uh, it might be arrogance at times. I don't know, but like, it's, it's, um, it was hard because I, in, in essence I've always been this person mm. you know I, this is who I've always been um, but I just couldn't show it mm. and not being able to show it and and knowing that this person that now I think it's a it's an okay human being and and a good person it's like it messes with you because you're like why can I be that person mm. you know why can I just like show people who I really am what you know you might like me if if I can show that and also my shame not only extended to me being gay but also with my dad leaving at such an early age so Mm. there was rejection in my like my early years there was rejection all around even though I had a lot of love and my mom was you know she's amazing and mom and dad and more Uh, but still you you know she she could keep me going but there was still that part that I had to deal with myself and and all that shame that really I think up to today I still have some of it but I'm able to just tell my shame to like step aside that I I need to do stuff I need to live my life I have places Mm -hmm. to go and things to do and I can't deal with you right now and whenever I have the chance, I deal with it little by little and, and explore it a little more or understand it a little more and have more compassion for it. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the way that I see it, especially with my dad and those early years where like, I already feel like I'm rejected by everybody if I show who I am. Um, but even if I don't show, I'm still rejected. Even if mm-hmm. I never accept that I'm gay and live my life this way. Um, I'm still going to have this part of me that is rejected and that actually pushed me to live my authentic life because I'm like I'm already going to be rejected no matter what you know so why not live a little bit and like take out some of that rejection but it's hard it's work and uh, my husband has been one of the people that got a lot of that rejection in the beginning because I I was afraid of commitment. I I was the kind of person that would date guys. And as soon as there was a little red flag or a little something, I would walk away because I didn't want them to walk away from me. And Mm -hmm. when I did that with my husband now, he was like, I was like, no, I'm done. I can't do this. And he was like, "Mm, no, you're not. You're staying here. And um, (laughs) it was that kind of relationship. But he he knew that that was... You know, I opened up to him and I told him, I'm going to walk away from this if you let me. And I don't want to walk away from this and lose this because of my shame or because of what I've gone through. Um, and and that's why we're still together eight years after eight years and, and married, because he was able to put up with that stuff and and know better than me. He had Man. this going up.
1: <laughs> and also, I want to put and your and your husband is is white, correct? Yes. Yeah. So he just pointed out, yeah, you know, he white is right. White. Uh, white equals right. That's that's something. That's a thing that we had on one of the earlier podcasts. If it's white, equals right. Go ahead, Mike. What's your hey, question?
2: I w- I wasn't looking for a white guy or anything specific. It's just you know, yeah. just what happened.
0: So we're definitely gonna get into well, man, that. We weren't
2: there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were there, but they wouldn't stay too long. <laughs> <No>. was crazy. <laughs> I guess they knew better.
0: There you go, Chris. So, in order to get what I'm going say, like that self actualization, where you're able to, you know, reach your potential and be fully comfortable with who you are, right? It requires spaces and places where you feel like you can be authentically used. So tell us about some of the, the places and spaces that you found that helped you start to grow that comfort level with yourself that made you available and open to you know the right people coming along when you're able to find yourself, you're able to find others.
2: My career has been what gave me the strength because it was at one point, um, and I started at 16, kind of like getting jobs. Um, and it was the only thing that I did right. The only thing that was completely right, and I would not make a mistake because I am was a perfectionist back then. Pretty type like, A. Yes, very type A. But I, I literally drowned myself in work because I couldn't, you know, life was not picture perfect for me. So... Before even realizing, even when I came out, like it was still coming out to my family, some people in my family and my friends. Mm. And it wasn't like I was walking around saying, hi, I'm Javier, I'm gay. Um, <laughs> you know? I didn't have to say it a lot of times. But, um, but it was like, you know, I, I became, hi, I'm Javier and this is what I do. Um, because I couldn't really show who I was. So I focused on what I did and Um, every time that I did that, I was celebrated in a way and not, you know, and there was no shame in what I did. And, and luckily a lot of doors opened. uh, I think it was a mix of like being completely into it and, and working, you know, day and night, no sleep and, and taking every opportunity that I could. But also like, I was, I guess I I met, I was in the right place at the right times, many times, um that actually helped me too. But um, that was when I started gaining my confidence. So for a long time, until recently actually, um, a little bit before the, the pandemic, my m- who I was was kind of driven by what I did. So if if I was not doing so well, or if there weren't many things at work uh, that were exciting and were feeding me in that way, um, my mood would change and would go down and Mm. my worth would go down. Um, So it wasn't until like the pandemic really actually gave me that space to really look at myself and not have work for a while or, or, you know, like exciting work. There was, there was still work and consistent work, but I was able to be with myself and, and be in my house, my family and truly appreciate who I was for the first time without having to hide in my career, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really this last year has been the most confident I've been as who I am, not, you know, just Javier, nothing else, not the cinematographer, the photographer, the, like anything, it was just me, and that was exciting for me in a way, I'm ready to get back to work, but that was <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's just to, to add to that, you know, I've talked to different folks about, you know, when the pandemic hit, it gave us an opportunity to, to evolve and to grow, right, to, to learn more about ourselves and to grow more comfortable with who we were or to challenge ourselves, right, to be more of who we wanted to be. Some of us faltered. Right. Um, for a variety of reasons. And so um, I love these examples where during the pandemic, that was a moment where you challenged yourself. Right. To to, to find that comfort or or kind of just happened as it relates to just it what was happening in life. I
2: couldn't hide. I, I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. There was nowhere to hide. You know, I even thought I was mm-hmm. home away from the world. But for myself, I couldn't be distracted by my work. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had to really I didn't have the thing that gave me the most worth in a way. So. I had to turn to me and make myself feel worth it without all that.
0: It's a, I end up talking to, you know, a lot of my guys and like my, a lot of my friends in general, just about like relationships. Right. Cause you know, so I've been with my partner for about 10 years in July, we've been married for three. So I'm like the elder statesman as it relates to like relationships. Right. And so, Therefore, folks think I know what I'm doing. You know, we're all just really figuring <laughs> this shit out. But the point is, it's 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 thinking about, you know, the person who you are and who you need to be in a relationship and really just working and fine tuning that, right? So that when the person that you've always been waiting for comes along, you'll be ready to meet them, right? You'll be able to meet wow. your match. And so tell us a little bit about meeting your match, right? And some of the discovery you still have to do on yourself while also cultivating and nurturing this relationship that blossomed to the marriage that you have today.
2: Well, it was interesting with, with Joseph, my husband, he, what I lack he has and what he lacks I have, which it kind of make, make us like a yin and yang kind of thing. Like we, um, he knew who he was. He, he didn't have to have a career. He, at that point he was having a, a career and everything, but he, that was secondary. That was just what he did. From this hour to this hour, and then like he was himself, and that was one of the things that attracted me so much because i i I didn't have that i you know who I was. I had to always talk up my game and like my work because I didn't really have enough to say to me enough to say about my life, so he was the opposite, and it was who he was, and it was hard because. I had to impress him more than just like the little bit of time that you normally would spend with a person and mm-hmm. be able to have your little script or your little, you know, package of like, this is who I am. Um, you know, the way you interact with many people on your everyday, you don't really show all the deep dark stuff or or the, the messy stuff. You just say, this is my package, you know, and, and you have shared it so many times and you have said it so many times that you know, you know, what works. You It's like a, a stand-up mm-hmm. comedian that mm-hmm. is like practicing his act and then goes out and, you know, I had my little package. I could impress you for a couple of days. Mm. But
1: then, So, so, so this in, in our terms, you know what I'm saying? Like catch hand, probably a catch hand, strong. retention yeah. hand, weak.
2: <laughs> Pretty much. You
1: know what I'm saying? It's so retention hand, weak, catch hand, strong. So, There, go there you
2: go. That's me. He's a bagger, But, yeah. but he taught me a lot and- um, our relate so now we've been together eight years. In the beginning, it was more of kind of like trying to change each other or improve each other in that way because we were lacking things that the other person had. So mm-hmm. it was it was very give and take in a way of me working on my the person that I was and him working on his drive and, and career and all of that. Um, Like our conversations were very much like if he was struggling, usually at work, I would give him all the tools that he would need to succeed. And But in life, I was struggling and then he would give me all those tools, Um, Mm. which was great. But we were still trying to shape each other to be something. Um, So there were arguments, there there was a level of unhappiness in a way uh, because you are still trying to change each other. And it wasn't until we both accepted who each other was and celebrated each other for what we bring to the table. So it was, you know, like, and we're pretty even. And nowadays we're like so even on like what I bring to the table. I know what I bring and I've grown because of those early years. But um, I think in relationship, you really have to, you either love the person that you're with or love the idea of who you want that person to be.
3: There you go. And yeah. that's
2: usually when relationships end, when it's you're, you're not loving the person for who they are. You're loving the idea of who they can be. Yes. And that was, that was the beginning. And I was even more, because I'm more controlling and more type A, I was the one changing more. Mm. Um, so in a way, we never felt like we were enough for each other. You know, because you're trying to have that. Oh, if you only had that, then you'll be the whole package kind of yeah. thing. But we are a whole package if we let our good things shine,
3: which
0: it, is yeah. what we're doing now. Chris, I know I'm usually the one that's gifting you all a game, but Javier dropping gems right now. I hope you're taking notes. Well, what you doing over there? You're taking notes? Taking right, notes. Take taking those notes. notes.
1: I know those notes, man. Those are things that I recognize. They're definitely, you know what I'm saying? You know?
2: Yeah, I, told, I told them to him before.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. See that? And then this is where we get into the, you know what I'm saying? We, we, Harvey and I have talked about relationships. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. He's given me advice. I've given him, you know, tips when my relationships were successful. You know what I'm saying? Notice the past tense and the present tense that he's using. <laughs> and the past tense that I'm using you know what I'm saying? So, you know, this let this just let, just just let you younger know. younger
2: than me, though.
1: Not that much. Not by much. <laughs> Not by much. So, you know what I'm saying? That's also another thing, you know what I'm saying? It's two very two merry men on this podcast. And then there's little old me, you know what I'm saying? Still out here trying to campaign to maintain, you know what I'm saying? To obtain someone that I can, you know, abstain with, you know what I'm saying? So it's just a lot going on. It's a lot going on, man. It's a lot going on. But let's move out of that. You know, let's move out of my darkness and back into <laughs> Javier's <of> Um <laughs> Back into Javier's story of trying. So, like, uh, would you say that a lot of the rejection that you said you faced early on, did that embolden you and your professional endeavors? Because you yeah. said that if people was already going to reject you, you was just like, man, if I'm, people are already dismissing me before they even get to know me, so why not just take the chance? So you want to talk a little bit about
2: that? Um, for a lot of years, I did not even work on on, on fixing any of that because I I guess... Like, yes, I put a lot of work and learned skills in my work, but I think, you know, there's like you, Chris, you're super talented and that's something that you were born with.
1: You broke and, up there. I can't really hear you. What'd you say?
2: Like, <laughs> like, oh, whatever. <laughs> 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 so what I was saying is you're kind of talented. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. No, but like, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. the talent comes with you and I, I do have my, my talented part for my work, but I, I did put a lot of, there's a lot of technical stuff that I put into work to learn
3: mm-hmm. and,
2: and upkeep. But because of that talent that, that I had, it, it, doors opened up a little more. It was easier for me to, to do things and, and I was doing them well and, and doors kept opening up and mm. I didn't feel for the first time in my life any rejection. Mm. you know it was completely positive and um it wasn't until later in my career that you started getting through hurdles and 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 you know you realize all of that it comes but for the first couple of years I was running nonstop, and everything was like growing and and amazingly I didn't stumble at all um but there was a point where that stops, like it, it goes like this, and then it kind of levels up.
3: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
2: then I had to face that rejection again, or I had to remember that, oh, I'm um, again, I can be rejected in this thing. So that part was the hard part of like really having to work on it because now I couldn't escape, even in this part that I was so good at, yeah. or so I thought I was good at, there was still rejection. There, there, there's the point where you're still going to be rejected, and that's when my view of rejection changed a little bit. I said, there's always going to be rejection. Everybody goes through rejection. Um, And I had to learn how to deal with that. The first part that I learned how to deal is with rejection at work, because it was less hurtful in a way. It was more Mm -hmm. superficial. Um, You know, it wouldn't change who I, I mean, it hurt if you put a lot of work into something and then they don't like it. It's it hurt. Do you know that Chris? Like it, it, it's kind yes. of like you put yes. your heart and soul into it. Yes. And then somebody is like, Oh, this is a piece of crap. I can make yeah. that in five minutes in a different software. I'm like, yeah. no, like it's <laughs> like,
1: it's the, it's it, the time. It's, 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 it's the time. People yes. don't recognize that. It's like, man, I put effort into this. I've really spent some time right. gestating on the idea before I just execute it. And then you going to come back with some old mediocre critique that don't really make sense because you're not a professional it's like the audacity the temerity you need to you know take several seats sir you know what i'm saying take several seats
3: (laughs) and they
2: don't they don't realize like one of the things is that i i guess i tell myself is they don't realize the heart and soul that i put into this they just Mm. see it at face value for Mm. what it is and they don't realize oh like it's kind of like an iceberg they just see like the little ice peas floating but they don't see all of the work and everything that's supporting that piece of art or that that work Mm. and to me i i said okay i can't they're not spending any time on this they're not dwelling over this so i can't dwell over it and I'm gonna get through this job. I'm gonna have a next job, and somebody is going to appreciate what I do. And let's move on. And that's how I kind of dealt with rejection and still deal with rejection on my work. Um, and it's also a creative field, so people are going to have opinion. Non-creative are going to have opinions on creative people mm. all the time because they usually have the money. So that's that's the way it is. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not. It's not going to change. I'm not going to be able to put myself in a box where I'm never going to be rejected at work. So yeah. that's, that's just going to happen. And, and I'm either going to close doors and not make money and not, you know, grow in my career if I decide that rejection is not going to be on my plate because then that's just going to stop me. It's not going to stop them. They're going to move on to the next video person, to the next photographer, and they're going to go on with their life however they want it. You know, so that's that was the first step on creating like my my defense for rejection or my my ability to live with rejection.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: that kind of alleviated a little bit of my rejection from growing up and from being gay. That's like from all that space before I came out. Um really that was the the turning point. I had it, I had to do it through work to understand that this rejection that I went through is not going to change. Even if I was born straight and perfect, I was still going to go through rejection. And then I looked mm-hmm. around and people are getting reject, rejected left and right. So it's not because I was gay and my dad left me when I was little. It's because I'm just alive and that's just right. what's going to happen. So that was the point that I, I understood that rejection is not going to keep defining my life. It's it's going to be something that shaped my life, but it's not going to define it.
0: So you, you mentioned early on, you're like the flamboyant hairstylist, right? Or the flamboyant, um, like wardrobe, you know, specialist, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. as you grew your comfort level and just being who you were, no matter sort of where you were, how does that show up in your work? And has it ever worked for you or against you? Like just being your authentic self in your workplace?
2: I mean, I've definitely used it to my favor in a lot of situations, um, I am in a more corporate world for the most part. So I still kind of like hold back a little bit and not fully. I mean, I'm I'm really not a fool, like wear my rainbow all day long and and mm-hmm. you know, put it in your face and and it it's not who, who I am full, you know, it's mm-hmm. I'm a first and then I just happen to be gay. Um it's like you you guys want, I mean Chris sometimes walks around you know telling everybody he's straight but
3: for the most part <laughs>
2: for the most part you know that's just who I am I think that's the only way to normalize it in a way it's just you know but like I don't a lot of times I don't even say like I I introduce my husband and I just say this is my husband and sometimes people don't even know that I have a husband or or you know that I'm gay in um, not too many cause like, but it's, 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 you know, it's not, I don't, I don't wear it. I'm, I'm, I, I have pride and I'm, I'm you know, I'm happy with who I am, but it's not something that is going to be the first thing that comes out of my mouth. And it's not because of shame. It's just because I am more than that. You know, mm. that's just my sexual orientation is not something that defines me the same way. Other things don't define me, things that I would do, or or even my work doesn't define who I am. It's the same way. It's mm. just one aspect of my life. And I have used it to the, the way that I use it all the time is to make women more comfortable. Because mm. in the environment today, women don't, and a lot of times I, I I do interviews with them and I have to have them open up and I like to connect to people before. Uh, we start roaming. So like mm-hmm. a lot of times, like w- where I work with Chris, is like I have to go to people's homes and, and start like talking to them and having to open up about sometimes hard things or struggles. And I like to establish this relationship beforehand. And if I sense that hesitation of like not opening up to me, or if I'm with a coworker that is female and they're talking more to them, then, you know, I might like have a screensaver of me and my husband. I just like happen to turn it on like around there and they're like, oh, you, is that your partner? I'm like, yeah. It's a, like, I use it definitely to open doors. Like I, I like to, to be able to connect a little more uh, when it's needed. But I also, there's also the other side that I have to not let it be part of who I am. So then I can connect to, more male energy. That,
1: that... Yeah. So when Chuck, when Chuck Fields, you know, what I'm saying Kentucky yeah. um, farmer, you know, is entering, you're entering into Chuck's home. This is the Fields home. Yeah. We don't yeah. like those sorts of things in this Christian household. <laughs> you know, you gotta hide those things. You know, put yeah. those things down. Even though you know they be at the, you know, banana hammocks down on Twenty First and you know Sharon. Then you know what I'm saying they be down there heavy. You know they, you know what I'm saying you know you know how that go, Javi. it don't you know what I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm saying. Dudes that be <laughs> extra. You know, they be out here wilding. Um, you know, hiding but, a lot yeah. of their personality. <laughs> I'm being serious. That's
2: real, ain't it? I'm not lying. The, the most, no, you know, you're not lying. Hey. You're not lying. Hey. But you know, like it's it's like anything. I think like you you have to when you're working with a lot of clients, you have to shape yourself in a different way depending on whose client. You know, sometimes I wear a tie. The same thing as wearing a tie to some with some clients and just wearing a t-shirt with some other clients. Like it's really reading who you're working for or who you're being around and just making them feel more comfortable.: I don't do that in my personal life. In my mm-hmm. personal life, you get what you get. If you don't like my T-shirt, then close your eyes. That's true. I don't know.. Like,
1: I know sometimes, you know what I'm saying? No, no,
2: no. don't get not wrong with that. You know what I'm
1: saying? <laughs> I have an interview. I like to, before the day before interview, I would sit out in the moon and just let the moon bathe me so I could become a bit lighter so that I can have more, uh, be more acceptable to that, the, you know what I'm saying, the client or something like that. So they don't think it's some, you know, you know, ooga booga type thing, you know nah, what I'm saying? I'm, I'm it <laughs> <laughs> like, how, many times, how many
3: times in
2: the podcast in this podcast you shake your head
3: like you just did? <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: all, all the time. All the time. And the people who listen to this shake their head at the same time that I shake my head. But, I know. The, but the one thing, Javier, that I'm that I'm pulling from that is, you know, Chris, we we think about blackness right? And when we work with our clients and in a certain spaces, some spaces, we don't have to turn it off. We can just be who we are, right? So we mm-hmm. can use the language we want to use. We can have the gestures we want to, we can have the jokes that we want to use, right? Without any filter, because we know this is a space where this is welcome, right? And there's some spaces that where you're just like, okay, I just know this is not the flavor. This is cool. All right. So I learned what I learned and I know how to, Javier, perform, right? I know how to perform in this space because I got to eat too, <laughs> right? Quiet. So as long as I'm not doing something that is going to really contradict who I am and contradict my values and my morals, I'm willing to, what is it called? Uh, to, to, to... Code switch? Not, code switch. There you go. Like, I'm, I'm willing to code switch. And code switch is not just the language you use, it's how you show up sometimes. Right? Exactly. But mm-hmm. there's always multiple versions of us, but it still should be consistent with who we are. And so that's right. what I'm hearing a lot as you talk about you in the
1: workplace. Yeah, some, sometimes you got to be a shower, sometimes you got to be a grower. You know what I mean? It's just these <laughs> things that yeah. It's all about how you present. You know, sometimes you might have to go out and just fluff up a little bit, you know, just to make sure things are right. And then other times, you know, you just got to make, you know, go take a cold shower. So, you know, you're not out here, you know, wilding, you know, you know, you know, you, you fellas get that.
2: No, I don't see That's something <laughs> I, can, I, I am and. <laughs> it shows, if it glows, it
3: glows.
1: Yeah. OK. All right. You know. Just trying, Just trying to keep it light. trying
0: to keep it light. You need to go keep this part in and I was like, yeah, Chris knows how to blow it up. But Javier, you know, we are talking during Pride Month, right? And you mentioned having, you know, the pride and sort of who, in, in, in who you are. And one of the things that Chris and I talked about way back when we first sort of, I don't know, quote unquote, launched the podcast, it was during Black History Month. Right. And, you know, I had some choice words on the month. Right. Like things that I'm absolutely proud of, some things that I'm annoyed with. Right. Specifically organizations that like co-op Black History Month. Right. To then project that. Chris, we just talked about it that, uh, on an episode. What is it called? Where you're like virtue. Oh, virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. Yeah. Like, have, you, have you heard of virtue signaling? No. It... Go ahead, Chris.
1: Okay, virtual signaling is when an organization, like a corp- a company that has a very specific corporate brand that they're trying to adhere to, changes what they're doing to fit the narrative that's had at the moment. So it'd be an example is how yes. all, all the companies put the LGBT flag on their logo in Eastern and American countries, but in Islamic and more West, I mean, more Eastern countries. They don't have that. Like any country that where LGBTQ community plus community is not accepted, it's just black and white regular logo. But in America, it's flags everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Rainbows everywhere.
2: I know I I literally just posted something the other day on my Instagram that was like, and I know visibility is good. And and you know, like I'm I'm happy that it's this way as opposed to what it was years ago. But if you're a company that only during june show a gay flag and put a gay person on your commercial or you know only you only represent or or speak about the lgbtq plus community during june and not the rest of the year then you're not an ally what you're trying to do is just take my money exactly you know and it's a mixed feeling though because i don't know if i would rather not have them talk about the community instead of, um, you know, what they're doing. But also like my point is like, you should be able to do this all year round. You should be able to have maybe a tab and even a tab in your website that shows that you have support for a community or have a, a Percentage of proceeds go to some organization that actually supports LGBTQ plus community like all year round, like something more than just changing the colors of of your packaging and then selling like doubling yourselves during that month.
1: So so a good example of this, a virtual signaling that's done right in a way would be Sprite. I don't know if y'all remember how Sprite basically pivoted from being a drink that was trying to be the partner of Coca-Cola to basically being the specific drink for Black and urban individuals in the late 90s, early 2000s. Like for Mm -hmm. a long time, Sprite, all their ads, all their commercials always were with like white families, people drinking it at the park. Like this is a fun drink, you know, it's lemon, lime, da-da-da-da. And then in the late 90s with hip hop, we was like, they was like, man, Black people sure do love Sprite. (laughs) Man, is there some way we can try to get in on this hip-hop urban culture how everybody that's of color seems to love Sprite? Man, let's make a drink. Sprite Remix. Do y'all remember Sprite Remix? Yes. Amazing. Sprite Remix Amazing. not only was delicious, the marketing literally was just like extra 2000s hip hop. Like it look, it might as well have been in a shiny, a shiny suit. The jank had fun, funky colors. It was platinum. The, the label wasn't green or yellow. It was platinum with gold bezel. It had yeah. orbs on it and it had a record spinning. Like Sprite Remix literally was made for black people. It even was flavored to taste good with black people food. Like fried, no, no racist stuff. Fried chicken. Anything salty and fried, macaroni and cheese, collard Sprite Remix, Remix went with anything black. Swear to God. It's just that's just the way it went. It's just the way it went. You like burritos, sprite remix. You like taquitos, like them little drinks you made when I came over to your spot, Javier, would have been fired with what? Sprite remix. Them little tacos <laughs> um, would have been yeah. fired with some sprite remix. So Sprite has just leaned all the way into it. So you know that it's coming from a place that's like, you know what? We market mainly to black folks. Let's just keep it that way. You know what I'm saying? this, And that's yeah. how you come across as authentic as opposed to- And you to, guys
2: can own it. You know, exactly. it's like, oh, that's my drink. Exactly. Like, I'm proud of like drinking this. Like, exactly. It, and even though it is to make profit in a way, but it is doing it to you guys. And it's giving you guys like a place- that mm-hmm. maybe other companies wouldn't give you or the attention or the dedication, whatever it is that other companies wouldn't do and you wouldn't identify with other companies. Facts,
1: facts. So it's like, and that's what I feel like is happening. Like, you know, a bad example of that would be, like I said, every company, like Renault. I don't know much about Renault besides they're losing Formula One a lot, And they make car- French cars. I don't know who's out here looking for French engineering for their vehicle, but it's a thing. And their logos, you know, saying anything that's more in the West... LGBT, but in the right side, you know, on the, you know, all the side that's over more in the East, you know what I'm saying? Eastern Bloc, even some of like countries, Russia, Germany. No, (laughs) they don't have that in their logos, you know what I'm saying? And you can check it on Twitter because that's the easiest place and the most prominent place where you can see virtual signaling happening because people are conversing at a rapid pace. So, you know, in terms of that, um, I guess the idea of personal narrative coming back around to that, um, how is it in your personal life? Has your personal narrative had to change, I guess? in order to fit different people? I know you touched on it kind of when you do your interviews with people and your um, more day job work, but I'm talking about in your like regular life with people. How does that change?
2: Well, in my, like where I live, I don't hide it because I feel safe. I, mm. I don't have to change at all. And mm. I, I think I, by this point, I have pretty thick skin that I don't get offended. Like if you say something to me at this point, it wouldn't, Touch me or, or get to me the way that it did when I was younger, but I I am in a it, it, my work does require me to travel a lot, and there are some states where where if I'm driving and I see you know five or six Trump signs back to back, then I know I'm not going to be able to be myself.
3: Fact, I'm not welcome there. Um,
2: you know I'm not welcome there, and I and you guys experience the same thing like. You know, in I don't know ways. what you're
1: talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> as, a you man, as a white man, as a white man, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, su-
3: yes. I, I suffer okay. from,
1: I suffer from re It's a very, it's even, from, from a white man? It's,
3: it's,
1: it's, it's even more rare or even rarer, as I should say correctly in my Queen's English. It's even rarer than vitilago, the disease that makes people with heavy melanation and pigmentation and color. They turn Less color, you know. what I'm saying they gain more rights. I had the reverse version. Someone who was lighter but has become more melanated, more darker, more pigmented. You know, so that's what I suffer from. So as a white man, I, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: So Javier also just want to interject <laughs> at this moment to say that Chris has episodes during these 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 podcast episodes where he he taps into his Maga
1: Chris persona, and and this is just one of those times just to make sure you're you're aware. Yeah, Maga Chris here. You know what I'm saying? I'm just letting you know. You know, so I don't know what you're talking about. Maga, Maga. You know, the, the, the South will rise again. Um. <laughs> 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 so here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, South will rise again. That's all I have to say. What are
2: even saying? saying? What
1: was it? You're saying that you don't like to be uh, tread on. You said don't tread on me. Uh I live in Virginia. Come on. Uh, I drive a muscle car. I definitely
2: was not <laughs> saying
1: that. I drive a Hummer and I only drive diesel and I don't sort my plastics from my glass and I like to burn um you know what I'm saying that like you can't stand <laughs> people coming to the country illegally. You were saying that's what you're saying. Go ahead. Continue.
0: As you drive through some states where you no, see back
2: to back Trump yeah. signs. Like, like, that's the only time where I feel like I have to be someone else, you know, like I uh, or, or, or I can not show I, I kind of go back into that like young kid that kind of had to create something else. Like there have been times at work, they see my ring and they're like, oh, like uh, your wife, tell me about your wife. And I tell them about my wife.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I leave the fact that she's very hairy and a dude. But, um, but I, I definitely, like, just talk about it. Um, and it's hard because you don't know who's going to be okay with it or not, but you create that shield, you know? I remember one person, this lady that I, that I thought was super conservative, like, you could see her, and you're like, she just came back from church. Like, you could see, like, it was, like, the whole thing. I was like, where's your Bible? Because I, I, she definitely has a Bible we can read and can recite it. Like
0: she that holy that's, water owner. She
2: keep the holy yeah. water on her, on her hip. <laughs> I know, yes, because I keep uh, it on me. <laughs> and, and she actually had a rosary. She was wearing a rosary. Mm-hmm. So like and and I didn't know like her level of comfort. And usually with women, I'm like more open because they're more understanding for the most part. But I I literally talked about my wife for hours, like the hours that we were there. Cause she kept asking, she's like, how long have you been together? Do you have any kids? Um, everything was true except the fact like that it was a dude, not a girl. Mm. So I, um, I packed up all my stuff. I left never to see this lady again. Um, and all of a sudden I get a Facebook message <laughs> that says, oh my God, I'm so sorry i You probably thought that you had to tell me that you had a wife, but I'm so your your relationship seems so beautiful, and I'm so glad, and I'm sorry you had to to not say that. I completely understand why you would do that, but hopefully everything you told me was about your husband, and wow. it was great, but I just you know I couldn't put myself in that situation mm. of like telling them, and especially if I want them to open up, I can't. Put in a lot of my life and 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 who I am in there because there could be something that they disagree with.
1: Yeah, man, there's some real sickos out here, man. You tell her all that information about you, and then she still felt the she had the compulsion to go look you up on Facebook and just double check. There's some real sickos out there, everyone. You know, you got to be careful who you let into your inner circle. Like, come on, like man.
2: Sounds like a sweet, weird lady.
1: Yeah, I bet. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Walking around wearing, a ch- wearing church clothes and a rosary. She's already confused. That's, those don't even go together. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, just being honest. She out here in a zoot suit, you know, wearing a purple dress with a brooch and then got her hat on, her Sunday best on with some stockings and some some slides. And next thing you know, she has a rosary. It's like, who do you worshiping? What God, which gods? You know what I'm saying? Is this a Baptist Catholic church? I never heard of that. It's a BCECB. You know, I go to, you know, I know I go to Campbell's BCMA Methodist church, you know, like what, what's going on, man? But what you just said kind of was interesting. So you basically said you have to tailor your life to fit other people's perspective. How does that make you feel? Do you feel like that's, I mean, this is going to be a leading question. I'm just going to be front. Is that got to sound, that's not like a lot of pressure to put on yourself to always have to measure your reality for someone else's perception.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's an extra step that I always have to take, but I think I'm not alone in this world doing that. I think people do that all the time to fit in. Mm. and i do it solely for the purpose of my work
3: mm. of
2: course i'm not gonna be dumb and say you know if i'm in a public place and there's like a bunch of straight dudes chopping up wood i'm not gonna be like hey guys i'm gay like mm. i'm just not going to share that information for fear of like not being able to beat them up and being beat up instead See, <laughs> you yo. know?
3: Oh, but man.
2: but i mean it it happens you know it's no. it it's just the reality of the world we live in. And I have to just be okay with that. If I want to be who I am, I have to be okay with that. And uh, as sad as it may sound, I'd rather do that and only like adjust my life a little bit for a few hours or a few minutes than to not be me at all.
1: Mm. I think that, you know, the, the best way to mediate and manage these sorts of situations, you know, in your personal life, you know, sometimes you got to think about your work-life balance. And I feel like there's certain tools and things that people reach for and try to find ways to make it make sense in their personal life. But in reality, they should probably just use Moodify, a sponsor of this podcast. You know, they're a very reputable organization that's reaching out to, to different individuals, entities, and enterprises to help to mediate, manage, and execute their goals, if it's personal or professional. You can use Moodify for whatever you need. And then there's also stiff works. You know, sometimes you just need some things that look on brand, things that just need a refresh, need something that's quick, fast, in a hurry. You know, even Javier, you know, I've worked with him in the past on a project and it was, I'm it came good, to- and it came together beautifully, you know. People were just like, Wow, who is this individual you're working with, Javier? He was like, You have a team. He's like, No, nah, it's just one individual, and he just happens to be excellent. And you know, that's Stiffworks. We're a company that's been servicing organizations and individuals in the city helping with their brand and social media assets for over 10 years. Um, no matter the client, big or small, preferably big, you know what I'm saying? We're size queens, and uh just holler at Stiffworks <laughs> whenever you need to <laughs> get some work done, man. And uh also be sure to check out javierperin.com for all your creative needs as well. You know what I mean? As I began this podcast with, you know, Javier is an excellent photographer, cinematographer, videographer, but he's also dabbling in more creative and branding awareness, like trying to manage people's social content and visual aesthetics. So please check out the jp.com JavierParen.com. and uh you know you ain't want to spell that for us bro you know you got a you got a little bit of salsa and um <laughs> i'm gonna fromage on that name so go ahead and spell it out for us bro
2: javierpierren com.
1: there we go and that's the podcast
2: Blah. awesome guys
1: appreciate you baby thank you no I- problem no problem thank man. you